Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production from Mar Addiction Treatment Centers. I'm Matt Shebb. Our guest today is Josh Kay, a Mar alumnus who came to treatment here as a client in 2005. Despite having received treatment at some other treatment centers before coming to Mar, it wasn't till his experience here that Josh was able to maintain long-term sobriety. In this conversation, he reflects back on some of the formative moments he had here with his community members and also with the counseling staff. You're giving me a weird feeling right now because <laughs> because I can I can make myself feel that feeling you get when Doug Brush looks into your soul. I, I don't know what that is, but anybody that knows him, most everybody that knows him can like I don't know what that is, right? But he has this special gift, and um, you know that was when I felt the most seen. Even though Josh started his experience at Mar almost 17 years ago, like Ashley in our last episode, he's never really left Mar. So let's get to it. Here's Josh. You know, my my first initial issue was around cocaine, and and it kind of brought me to my knees, and and I had a lot of issues with that. The the thing that finally kind of put the last nail in the coffin for me was was opioid painkillers. And at that point, I realized I met something that first off I loved and couldn't live without, and second off I couldn't stop if I tried, like there was, there was no, and I, I think I thought about this all the time and had lots of discussions about like, you could not convince me that it, that I could or needed to stop it. Right. Like it just felt like that's what I had to have to sustain my life. And so that's where I was and everything was falling apart around me throughout the whole thing. It's interesting. I kept a, a job that I was successful at, right? But my home life, every finances, everything was a was a train wreck. You know, what kind of work was it? It was sales. Yeah, you know, gotcha. distribution sales stuff, and I was pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know, but it just turned into a um, it, it turned into a big monster, and you know, I finally um, sought some help. You know, and kind of raised my hand, and um, actually, I was uh, planning to get married. And um, I think the first time they gave me some money to take to the photographer, right, and she never got paid, and and I just made an absolute mess of that. I mean, there were times when I sat down with my then fiancé and said, you need to not walk but run away from me as far as you can and as fast as you can, you know. Um, Just like I, I can still remember every minute of that conversation, right? Is this the woman you're still with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember sitting on this red couch and saying to her, like, you got to go. Like almost almost I was almost mean about it, right? Like just get out. And um she refused. So what were you thinking in that moment when you're telling her that that like you just you know you needed to stop, but you just you you can't? I recognized that my life was was in full self destruct mode and there was already some issues with her and her family that I was causing and I didn't want to take her down with me. At the same time I was contemplating suicide. That was my only answer. I didn't have the guts to do it, but thank goodness. But but like I mean, that was where I was, right? I was just at the end, and that the whole planning process, the whole, you know, just the last few times where I was really contemplating it, I was, I, I think I was pretty serious, you know. Yeah, I, I went to a bunch of different treatment, you know. I was getting my uh, my stars at all the treatment places, and but none of it. I didn't want to be there. Didn't need, you know. It just wasn't. It was just too. In most cases, it was just to say, hey, I got a problem. 
and I need to go get help, I'm going to go do that, right? Because I'm good, and I'm patting myself mm-hmm. on the back, and they're they're supporting. And I never forget my brother and I. When I have a brother that's eight years older than me, and we didn't we didn't have a great relationship growing up. Just our age difference was was you know difficult for that. Um, but for whatever reason, he got in a car and drove six or seven hours with my parents to come visit me while I was in this mental hospital, essentially is what it was. And I, I, in all my life, I've never, I just, I can also remember the, the look on his face when he walked into this kind of cafeteria type room in a hospital environment, seeing his look. And I just, I don't know, I felt, I can still, I can still like bring up that kind of guilt or shame of, you know, that I felt that day. Um, you know, I don't spend time, you know, harping on it or, or, or feeling it, but I, I know that's how I felt, you know. And I don't know why I felt it from him and not so much from like my parents or my fiance or mm-hmm. whatever, but that was just another interesting um, moment in time. Um, was it, was, what was it? Was it like him, were you thinking that he, he was thinking, how'd you end up here? Or like, what, like, what's going on? Like, what, what was, what was your mind saying about that? My mind said, and I, and I, oddly enough, I've never like asked him about this. Um, but like I had my mind, like I, you know, I was a successful sales guy. I'd been this, you know, football player. All those things that that he, um, I felt like was proud of, you know. And then to walk in that day and see me, what I saw in his face is like, how did you get here? You know, I thought you were all these things that you portrayed yourself to be, and you're not. Mm. Um, you know, and that didn't feel good. Yeah. Was it like concern you saw in his face, or kind of disappointment? disgust or like I, I think all of the above man. Oh, yeah. like i think it yeah. was like what 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 happened you yeah. know that was another moment that really was impactful and then um you know i actually found um well, i didn't find but it was it was recommended to me to check out this place called this this uh, thing called celebrate recovery at a church up in knoxville that, you know, sounded like it was awesome. There's 500 people every Thursday night, music, food, prayer, like it's incredible, small groups. And so uh, from that point, I, I ended up um, ended up going, right? And what, what actually happened there was my, uh, my pastor um, was kind of brought into the situation to say, hey, look, he just called me up one day and said, I, I can't help you. You know, I'm not equipped to help you, but I'm going to give you somebody. You know, I'm going to give you somebody to call, and, uh, and and you should go see him. And that was the Celebrate Recovery situation, who the guy leading that was a Amar alumni. And so pretty interesting. But um, when I called my then-fiance and said, hey, listen, you know, this guy's got to pass me off to somebody else. He can't help me, and he told me who to go see, and she gave me the guy's name, and she says, you can't ever go see this man. So didn't know it, right? But uh, she grew up with this guy's children in their church. And over time, she experienced him in his addiction. So fast forward to this day on the phone call, he'd been sober for a while, built this incredible ministry, right? And she doesn't know how to deal with that. She's never been exposed to, to AA. That to me was, uh, was interesting because she's like, you can't go. You yeah. know? And I said, but I have to go. Fast forward a few months and we're all going together as a family and my parents are coming and this, you know, she's seeing that, wow, this person who I essentially hated, right? Because of the way he treated his family um, and, and in his church, because 
because that went away too. Um, and all of a sudden, she's like, "There's hope." I get it gave her hope going there, and she didn't know it at the time, but it was like my lifeline. Like I was using every day; it didn't matter. But I had to go every Thursday night to CR, else I didn't think I would make it another week. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was almost like a lifeline. But I'd show up in a group, you know, high. But I was there, you know. And over time, that got better. But, um, you know, my whole family ended up getting engaged in this ministry, and so many cool people were involved. And it just just made a lot of relationships and friends. But ultimately, I couldn't stay sober. It came to a point where we all had a family meeting, and the director of this ministry sat down and said, Hey, listen, there's a place you should go. It's minimum of 90 days, you know. And um, I was like, I I can't. I got a job, you know. He's like, well, you do right now. But you're not going through for long. And so I was like, well, I don't have any money. I've already spent it all. He's like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. Nobody was giving me any money. I'd already got, I'd already taken anything I could get from anybody. And so, you know, once I surrendered and decided to come here, that's when things really started to change. What was that like your first day here? And that very first group was a spiritual life group. And there was um, a couple in there that were volunteers. And, you know, I had just come off a detox, and so I was still sweating profusely, like excessively, uncontrollably. It was it was pretty bad. And so I sat down in the room and introduced myself as a new guy, and this volunteer looked at me and said, I'll be right back. And he came back, not with a paper towel, but with an entire roll of paper towels. <laughs> 17 years later, he's one of my dear friends. His wife is as well. Like, it's just, and we're, again, to, to, you know, the book states we're a group that normally would not mix. Like, no other way would our paths crossed, right? And that played out through, you know, my entire time at Mar, where people that I established relationships with, our paths would have not crossed in other, other um, situations. And so, you know, I just remember that that night because, first off, that was when I really realized, like, man, I'm in bad shape. I didn't even know it. Like, I'd been in detox. I was roomed with a guy that thought he was Superman. Like, it was bad, right? And so, uh, but none of that hit me until I was sitting in Peachtree Presbyterian Church, and this guy goes and gets me a a roll of paper towels because I was sweating that much. And so, you know, for the next six weeks here, I I was really still just trying to get here, right? And, you know, I'll never forget, I don't know, I've heard it a thousand times over, over you know, the last 17 years of Doug Brush saying, when are you going to get here, you know? Or the best part was he says, man, it's cool. You, you finally joined us. Like, this is incredible. You know, we were waiting for you to get here. And it didn't make sense to me then, right? But now looking back on it, it absolutely does. Like I was a complete train wreck. My life was unmanageable. Everything was out of control. I came here and took the drugs away, but I had no tools. I had no tools to stay sober, to get sober, to have relationships with people. I was a user and abuser of people and things, right? So um, I, I didn't know. All I knew is I needed to figure something out real fast because the space I was in was not good. Um, you know, I'd gotten to a point where as a user and abuser of people and things where I just, you know, Hey, look, I, we can have a relationship, but it, it's really based on what I can get from you. Right. And how I can manipulate that situation. 
And so I think a lot of us came into communities just like that, right? So then you got to learn how to live with four other, you know, dudes and grown-ups, and some are grown-ups, but but they act like children, and some are children that you know. It's just it's just a it's an interesting mix of people, and it forces a lot of tension, a lot of conflict resolution, and so you know I think part of that in the community, right? All the things that happen in the apartments, not so much what happens in the bar, bar building, but you learn to, to you learn to to deal with those things. Sometimes you deal with them well, and sometimes you don't. And um, you know we were able to able to work through some of those together, use some of the tools from our, um, our classes and sessions. But you know what, ultimately it was, it was about being able to face them. Right. Cause I, I think prior to that, I would have tried to avoid it. Right. Unless, unless I didn't have a choice. And now this gave me an opportunity to learn how to face them, how to work through them and move past them. Because in past, you know, maybe if we had to talk about something, I'd say whatever I needed to to just get out of the situation. But then I carried that resentment with me from there on out, right? And um, kind of learning in these groups, like, hey, you, you can't afford resentments. Um, and so if you don't resolve that conflict and that issue, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think those are probably two good um, situations. How did the counselors help with that to kind of helping – hold up and and are there moments that you remember where they're kind of helping to hold up like well you're saying this but i'm seeing this you're giving me a weird feeling right now because (laughs) because i can i can make myself feel that feeling you get when doug brush looks into your soul i I don't know what that is but anybody that knows him most everybody that knows him can like i don't know what that is right but he has this special gift and um you know that was when i felt the most seen right, is when I'm talking to Doug and I felt so uncomfortable, you know, especially early on, because I felt like everything I was saying, he was looking right through and reading the truth. And probably for the first nine months I was here, which by the way, I signed up for 90 days and a year later I was here and, you know, probably over the last, you know, so ever so many years, I volunteered here for seven or eight years. So had the good fortune to be able to be involved here a lot but i signed up for 90 days and and it you know i needed more than that but probably the first six months every time i'd see doug he'd say what are you doing when nobody's watching and he'd walk off i'd be like man what do you see me do you know like like i know he knows you know because we might have broken a few rules here or there i'm right i I think statute limitations are up right <laughs> but though, though, that's something honestly I think about to this day is you know and and truthfully it may be where I'm 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 faced with a decision like I could do something I probably shouldn't you know or I can choose the right path and I really go back to thinking like of Doug saying hey man what are you doing nobody's watching mm-hmm. you know that's the integrity I'm interested in you know, you can blow smoke all you want right in front of me, but I want to know what you're doing when nobody else is watching. What was it like, the emotional part of coming away from a career? You know, you'd been able to hold on to your job. It sounded like you had a pretty successful career. To going into a place where you're living with, you know, younger guys, maybe older guys, you know, a whole group of guys sharing a car, grocery shopping together, not having a phone. and all, Like, what was that? emotionally like the humbling experience of that for you what how did that feel 
it was it was extremely extremely difficult you know because i'd had some success i'd had some freedom and you know had had established myself personally and then to come in and be paying to be told what to do and i just had to keep reminding myself that my best efforts got me here right so i gotta let go and and let and let this thing work or or else i'm not going to live you know to see it and i think you know there were a bunch of people right in our groups and and halfway and three quarter and i engaged a lot with the the professional group and but i think the interesting thing to me was seeing like doctors and lawyers working at waffle house and starbucks and you know folks that like i'm thinking i'm just a sales guy over here like you know i'm special but like folks that have special skills special talents and that you know may have a real problem going to do something like that. You know, we had a guy that was like a neurosurgeon here, you know, that he was here as a patient, but, you know, did some menial job somewhere. But that experience and hearing them work through that and talk through it, it helped me understand like, hey, I'm not special. And if people I think are special are going through it too, like I can probably make it. What do you think Mar, if you could kind of summarize, what do you think Mar provide? Because you mentioned having other treatment experiences what did mar provide that those places didn't even in in the other treatment centers i met some incredible staff and counselors that were you know very i I still have things written down that yeah impactful and stuff like that um so there were great people everywhere but there was something special about this place and it was you know it was from donnie brown down you know the same mission the vision the culture the dna of the of the organization you know, was there. And I think that along with the right people in place, right, to help kind of facilitate this for us um, was what made it made the greatest impact for me here. And and the other piece of it is uh, two things that were, I think, absolutely imperative was the long term. You know, 90 days wasn't enough for me. It is for some folks or what have you, but I needed that. I needed that time. And 90 days probably felt like eternity when you... <laughs> when I first got here, yeah. But at, at ele- you know at 11 months, and at the time, that was like a long time for somebody to be in three quarters. But, you know, there's been people a lot longer than that since. But at the, at the end of the day, that was a big piece for me was the time because it gave me an opportunity to wind down and arrive, right, and then work on myself. And that, that ain't going to happen in 30 days right or or 60 days even for me it didn't happen in 90 i needed that next level of care to provide some structure some accountability but also allow me to have some of the you know things that you get in life a car a credit card a phone all those things and learn how to integrate into the real world as a grown-up this time right not as a as a man child um how i came in so so i think the time here the 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 team the treatment team uh, staff but then the community piece of it, um, to me, you know, I started out talking about this, about some of my dearest friends in the world today exist because of this place. And there's almost no other scenario where I would have engaged with them, you know. And for me, it's been a friendship. It's been a relationship. It's been a mentorship, um, you know. But but that support throughout, you know, my recovery has been important. So, if you're someplace for 30 days, it's hard to establish those relationships. And then to have the opportunity to come back and be part of, you know, uh, to give back and to be part of uh, uh, groups as a volunteer um, has been incredible as well. But, you know, the one thing I, I, I haven't really mentioned for me was the spirituality piece. 
um, you know, is something that, you know, some places you don't get that um, opportunity. And, and um, so between, you know, between all those things, I think community, spirituality, and just the, the, the staff in general and the model here, right? I, I think it's unique and it works. I mean, you you hit on that community piece, and I'm thinking about it to the that picnic, the annual picnics coming up next month, June, um, and uh, it's like there's just something special about you know, like you said, there's lots of great treatment centers with lots of great people doing you know really insightful, important work. That there's a family feeling here. You know, you go to the annual picnic and you know, the director is barbecuing and there's a humility or, or something. And I, that was my first experience with Mar before I even set foot here on the campus was going to the website and seeing a video of Doug Brush talking about humility. And he hates doing videos like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but David, my boss now, got him to, to do a video. And it was just like, wow, this like, this feels different. You know, like this feels like... I just felt safe even just watching that video. And then when I came here and I just felt like, I don't know, like I felt like I could just, and it felt like a place where I was okay letting people see Mm -hmm. through my, you know, the thing that I do to try to get people to like me or whatever. Um, I felt safe doing that here because they weren't going to try and bulldoze me or or like expose me and like, you know, like they weren't going to do that to me. Um, but anyways, yeah, that community piece and just how people stay involved, you know, like yourself, um, all these years later, you know, it's 17 years, how many years, 17? Yeah, it'll be 17 in July. So yeah, that. and you've stayed involved. Um, that's a special, that's a special thing. I don't know, I don't have experience working at a lot of other treatment centers, but I don't know if people stay involved like that, you know, like to the level that they do here. Well, um, <clears throat> going back to my my first sponsor, the I, I, the question I was told to ask him was, "How'd you stay sober?" Right? And he said, "Well, I did all this, and uh, and then I volunteered at Mar." Because I said, "Why'd you do that?" He said, "Because my sponsor told me to." Right? He said, "Minimum two years." Well, you know, like four years later, um, I was still volunteering in a three quarter group, and then we had the opportunity to move to Florida. I was down there for eight and then moved back and had the opportunity to come back into the three-quarter group. So I missed it. Now, Doug connected me down there with an alumni and another treatment center and all that. It was great. It wasn't Mar. Yeah. There's something special about this place. And I get it's familiar to me and, and I have it's sure. a special place in my heart. But it truly, it doesn't take long to recognize, first off, the humility from the top down. And then um, just the people care. And it's tough love, right? And we're all human. Some days are better than others. And, and But they're going to love you in a way that, you know, sometimes you might not like, mm-hmm. right? But it's all, it's all in your best interest. Yeah. So if you had one thing to pass on to somebody who's listening, what would it be? That's a, that's a great question. Um, thinking about the best way to answer that. I mean, for me, it's easy because I have a passion for this place. Um, but I've tried those other ones and they work plenty well for some folks, but this is the one that worked for me. And I've seen it work th- the, the entire program, the entire process work for so many others and so many people that I love and people that I care about, the folks that run the place. You know, this is a place that you can feel confident about coming to or sending your loved one to. Um, 
you know, for them to get the help they need. And, um, you know, and I would also say to the, to the person that's sitting around trying to decide whether they want to, you know, commit to a long-term treatment, just stop fighting, man. Just stop. There's, life is so much better on the other side of it. Um, and I know it's hard to see, but if you can just surrender. Great. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and, you know, on your lunch hour in the midst of a busy day to, to have a little meeting here between the two of us. So that's great, man. I enjoy it. All right. That's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our guest, Josh Kay, for sharing your story with us. My name is Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. Jordan Detweiler performed the theme song that you're hearing in the background right now. And if you're a listener to this podcast and you want to reach out to share your experience listening, please feel free to reach out to us at communications at marinc.org. That's communications at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. You can also reach out to us through our website at marinc.org. We really appreciate you spending this time with us. And we're already looking forward to next time.